the last couple of weeks, Diane and I have gone to see a couple of Christian movies. Uh, the first one uh, a couple of weeks ago was Courageous, The Legacy. Uh, it was the 10th anniversary of the movie Courageous. And so what it was, was the original movie. It was remastered, whatever that means. It didn't mean a lot to me. <clears throat> but they had a new ending to it. And the new ending was great. I don't remember how it ended last time, but uh, the new ending really meant a lot. And then this past week we went to see, well, it was more of a documentary than a movie called The Jesus Music, how what we call contemporary Christian music got its start back in the 60s, uh, really started with a bunch of hippies that came to know Christ. And liked music and so they started uh, doing new music um, and going through um, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant were kind of the, the central people in uh, putting this together you know but it was just really good but what was bad about everything was the attendance <clears throat> when we went to see the courageous movie uh, there was six of us when we went to see uh, the Jesus music, there was, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us. And that was it. I, I know one person on uh, Facebook said that they went to see Courageous, the Legacy. They were the only person in the theater. Uh, believers, you need to support stuff like this. Okay. Now, Courageous, some people may think, you know, well, I saw that before, or I've got the the DVD or whatever, and I don't need to go see that again. No, you do, okay? Because if we don't support things like this, positive things, Hollywood's going to just keep on pumping out their uh, profane, violent trash, and the Christian movies are just going to disappear. And I realize that, you know, for Diane and I, for two senior tickets, it... Um, a um, matinee, I guess you'd call it, uh, was like $12, $13. Okay, you know, that's maybe more than you want to spend, but it's for something good. And so, you know, we need to make sure we're supporting these things because it costs a lot of money uh, for these to be made, and we don't want to see them disappear because we need to get as much positive stuff out there as possible because there's so much negative stuff in theaters or on your TV at home that we gladly support. So let's kind of think about it and pray about it, do the right thing. There's some other good movies coming up. Uh, I know that the Kurt Warner story is coming up, uh, The American Underdog. And uh, there's a couple other good ones that we see coming up. So when you see they're coming, hey, put away a couple of bucks and make sure you go and see that movie. Okay, God bless. Now, at the end of my commercial, let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you can surround us with positive things if we look for it. Because um, the negative stuff is being shoved down our throats, Lord. And so help us to shut our mouths so that doesn't happen and to make sure that we're supporting the, 
the good things that are out there, things that are lifting you up, things that are putting you in the forefront. And as believers, that's just what we need to do. So, Father, as we look at your message today, let us see that, Lord, you and you alone are real. And, uh, Father, we need to make sure we get the unreal, the negative stuff out of our lives. So, Father, I just turn this over to you and help us to get your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the message from three of our daily devotionals uh, one day was all about idol worship. <clears throat> and so I really felt the Lord leading me to bring this message. So I'm going to be using the NIV primarily, and I'll try to remember if I use something different. Um, but the whole thing started in James 4.4. 4. And it started like this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay. Well, first of all, I had to look up the word enmity. Not a word that I use. Maybe you do. But uh, what it means is hostility or friction or opposition. So what that was saying from James is friendship with the world means opposition towards God. Or friendship with the world means hostility towards God. Friendship with the world causes friction towards God. Okay, not a good place for us to be. So what does this verse mean? And how does adultery fit in? I mean, that's we kind of have one mindset as to what the, the word adultery means. But what it means is it's an unfaithfulness or a disloyalty. Okay, we think of committing adultery uh, with someone other than our spouse. Okay, so we're being unfaithful, disloyal to our spouse is what that's telling us. So we can commit adultery in other ways. You know, as an employee, you can be unfaithful to your company or your employer. So you're really you're committing adultery towards your employer. Um, I don't know if anybody has ever been accused of that, but uh, if we said we committed adultery towards our employer, our employer, people might kind of look at us strangely, but. We mostly think of it as a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse. But James is putting this in a different light and using it in a different way. Because this verse gives the word a whole different perspective. It's talking about a relationship with the Lord. So what can that relationship be? Well, it means loving the things of the world more then we love the Lord. So probably most of us think, huh, I, I can't imagine myself doing that. You know, I'm a good Christian. You know, I go to church three Sundays a month, you know, sometimes four and well, sometimes only two. But, and you know, I've been a member of this church, you know, since 1961. You know, I never do that. Well, there's nothing that I put before the Lord. Well, 
there is if you're committing adultery with the world. You know, I mean, doesn't that kind of make your skin crawl to think of it that way? That you're committing adultery with the world? You know, I think that should kind of make you really wonder. Well, I like to remember the third verse of Psalm 100. This is from the message. It says, know this, God is God and God, God. He made us, we didn't make him, we're his people, his well-tended sheep. Okay, that just is pointing it down. God is God and God, God. In other words, there's nothing else. I mean, God is God, period. The way we or I need to be thinking about our Lord is he alone is number one. Okay, and number two is far, far behind. You know, if you're looking at statistics, you know, God would be up there as number one, and then you'd look for number two, and you think, wow. You know, I mean, number two is never going to overtake number one. That's the way our relationship needs to be with the Lord. Well, the next thing that was brought to my mind was in Psalm 115. Okay, and it kind of makes us all sound kind of foolish, I guess. But just starting in verse 1, it says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have feet, but they can't walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, Trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. It's like it, it says in Psalm 124.8, it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, I, I love those descriptions of the idols, mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, noses but can't smell, hands but can't feel, feet but can't walk, and neither can they utter a sound from their throats. It's like, you know, our granddaughters have these dolls, and, you know, they've got hands and feet and eyes and ears and noses and mouths, but none of them work. Okay, and that's the same with idols that were being made uh, by those around the Israelites. And the Israelites were sometimes falling into to these and saying, you know, hey, maybe that's not a bad idea. They got something that they can see. I can't see my God, but I can see this idol sitting here on my shelf. Well, it would be the same as going out and buying a, a doll at the toy store. 
and say, well, this is this is going to be my idol. You know, this Betsy Wetsy doll or whatever it is. You know, I'm going to look at this and that's going to be my idol. Well, we may not see people with carved idols like in Bible times or in that culture. But idols do exist. They exist in every culture. They exist in every country, every race. And the psalmist was pleading three different times to people to abandon the idols and to trust in the Lord. Okay, this psalm, Psalm 118, is a part of a group of psalms. Psalm 113 to 118 is known as the Egyptian Hillel. <clears throat> it was used in the Jewish liturgy as part of different religious ceremonies like Passover, the Feast of the Weeks, or the Feast of Tabernacles and others. Okay, and in turn, it was part of a group of psalms that was even bigger, Psalm 111 to 119. But the Hallel, the, the Psalms 113 to 118, were expressions of thanksgiving and joy for redemption. Because the word Hallel itself means praise. <coughs> mm, excuse me. And it's the root word for hallelujah, Hallel. So let's go back to Psalm 115. Okay, it begins with a question from the nations, the Gentiles. It's a question that's still asked today. Okay, uh, where's your God? The Gentiles asked. People today ask the same thing, don't they? When bad things happen, like 9-11, people will say, well, where's your God? You know, there's hundreds of people that were murdered. You know, where's your God? If a, a child is harmed in some way. You know, people say, well, you know, how come your God didn't stop that? Or an untimely death, tragic accident, <clears throat> hurricanes, you know, tornadoes, floods, you know, whatever. People say, well, how come your God didn't stop this? You know, where's your God if he's so powerful and can, can do all things? You know, we don't see him interceding here and stopping this. But the question was being asked by idol worshipers. Okay, those were the people that were asking, where is your God? So just like in the Psalms, the people that are asking those questions today are people that, that have no God. People that are worshiping a, a false God, just like in the Psalms. In verses 9 through 11, of Psalm 115. The psalm writer is calling out the people to trust in the Lord. Okay, he says, all you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Okay, so he's calling to us today you know, trust in the Lord. You know, he's the one that's going to help. He's the one that's going to protect you. So what does it mean here when it says he is their help and shield? Well, to help means just that, 
to help someone or to aid someone in some way. <clears throat> and a shield means that God is armed. He's going to be your defense. He's going to be your protector. And this is something that I think is very easily under, understood in this culture. Okay, Because the Israelites were in need of help. They were in need of a defender. They needed somebody to be there for them, to be their strength, you know, their help and their shield. But another important word in those verses is this, and that's to trust. It has more meaning than what we may give it because it also means to, to be bold, to have confidence, to be secure, to have hope, to be sure. Okay, so when we trust, that's what we're saying, that, you know, I have confidence in the Lord. I am secure in the Lord. The Lord is my hope. I am, you know, sure that he is going to be there for me. You know, God is going to be bold in all things. So the psalmist is reminding the Israelites of who God is. Let's move on in the Old Testament. A little bit to, to Psalm, or excuse me, to Isaiah 40. Okay, and he, he writes this in verses 21 to 26. So this gives us a, a description of who God is. And it's God's speaking. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits on, enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. It tells us that God is the Almighty. God is all-powerful. God is the one that we serve. God is the giver of salvation. God is the creator. Not a God created by human hands. I mean, how foolish is that? Okay, this reminds me of the book of Job in chapters 38 to 41. Four chapters where God is coming down on Job. In 38.4, he says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? 38.19, What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? 39.19, Do you give the horse its strength, or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? And 40, verse 8, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn meaning to justify yourself. So you know, God is telling Job, you know, where were you 
Okay? You think you're so important? Where were you when these things were done? When these things were done by me? In Isaiah 40, the prophet is helping us put God back into the proper perspective. It's like a poster I remember seeing many years ago. It says, there's two things I've learned. One, there's a God. Two, it's not me. That's what we need to learn. That's what I need to learn sometimes. But we live in a world that's trying to teach us that that's not true. The world says, if there is a God, it can be you. You are to be the center of your life. You can justify your destiny. You only go around once in life. Live life to the fullest. Okay, the world is working hard to eliminate God. Hollywood portrays God as meaningless, powerless, outdated. You know, if you're a Christian, you know, how old-fashioned is that? You know, that was something your grandparents did. You know, you need to do it this way. Forget that God stuff. You're wasting your time. You know, you're getting up early Sunday morning and all, and then, you know, Wednesday night, you're going to church or whatever it might be. You're just wasting your time, is what the world says. If you need God, you're weak. And you're really, you're just unable to really contribute to the world. That describes who the world hopes that God is. That's why we're trying to, excuse me, they're trying so hard to kick Christ out of Christmas, removing crosses from public places, removing the Ten Commandments from public buildings. The world believes if God's out of sight, he's going to be out of mind. Therefore, he's going to be forgotten by the generations to come. Then as the world continues and we keep pulling God away a little bit more at a time, a little more at a time, we're going to finally have a generation that says, I don't need God. You know, he's, he's just not important to me. He was important to my parents, my grandparents, but eh, not me. That's why we need to let the world know that God is alive and well. Like the song said, God's not dead. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. Well, we need to get that lion out, okay, and get that lion working. Okay, that's great news that he's living on the inside, but he better start living on the outside. Like Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or like it says in the message, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does, the good work that he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Okay, the work we do for the Lord separates us from unbelievers, and it brings glory to God. Some may look at believers and ask, well, what about your cross? You know, isn't that an, an idol? You know, that's been made by human hands. Well, probably made by a machine. But, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, that's an idol to you. You know, and I can see where it may look that way to some people. I mean, we put it on our walls. 
and we wear it around our neck or as an earring. You know, we may get it tattooed on you. Uh, some churches, you know, erect huge crosses. Or sometimes you'll see them just out in the middle of the field. You know, we did a lot of traveling this summer, and you know, several times you would see, you know, one lone cross, you know, on a hill someplace, or maybe the three crosses with a larger cross in the middle. But the cross is meant to be a reminder to us. You know, not a not a decoration. It's a reminder of the suffering and the death for our sins. You know, sometimes it's worn just as a decoration and it doesn't really have meaning for people. <clears throat> they just do it because, you know, my grandmother gave it to me or, you know, I, I thought it would look good or, you know, people maybe wouldn't judge me <clears throat> because I, I have a cross on, you know, it must be a good guy. I remember when we had the Christian bookstore there was this young woman that came in and, you know, she was looking at the crosses that we had there in the case. And and I was asking her if, you know, she wanted to, to look at one. And she said, well, you know, I don't know if I want a plain one or I want the one with a little man on it. I'm thinking, really? A little man on it? You don't know who that little man is? You know, I, I didn't want to judge this woman, but I didn't think the cross really had a whole lot of meaning to her. If she's thinking about, you know, do I get one with a little man or not? Uh, not knowing who that little man was or what that little man had done for her if she was willing to accept it. When we commit our lives to serving the Lord, we get to know him better. We get to know who he really is in our lives. We know that he's more than the big guy up there. You know, it really bugs me. And somebody say, well, you know, I've been praying to the big guy upstairs. You know, no, if, if the big guy is upstairs, he needs to be in your heart right here, not way up there, wherever you think he may be. For we know that he's more than just the one that we take our shopping list to. You know, God, I need this, and God, I need that, and, you know, these people need this and that. And, and you know, that's good. He wants us to, to come with our needs, but he wants us to come with so much more because he's our father. He's our creator, our provider, our healer, and so much, much more than that. I wanted to share in closing an older song that, that I really like and may have sung it someplace at some time, but Steve Green sang this back in 1994, okay, a long time ago. Doesn't sound like it when you see 1994, but when you think about the fact that's 27 years ago, okay, but it goes like this. God and God alone created all these things we call our own, from the mighty to the small. The glory in them all is God's and God's alone. God and God alone reveals the truth of all we call unknown. And all the best and worst of man won't change the master's plan. It's God's and God's alone. God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne. Let everything that lives reserve its truest praise for God 
and God alone. God and God alone will be the joy of our eternal home. He will be our one desire. Our hearts will never tire of God and God alone. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are God and God alone, that there is none other, okay? no one, nothing compares to you. And Lord, as your children, as believers, we know that. We believe that. So Father, help us to make sure that we keep you above everything else in our lives, that we have no uh, idols sitting on our shelf or in our wallets or in our home, that you are the one that's going to be first in our lives. And the world doesn't want that. The world tries hard to make sure that that doesn't happen, or if it's happening now, to, to get that out of our lives. And so, Father, help us to, to know that we need you and to put you first. And Lord, if there's anyone that's maybe listening to this that doesn't know you, isn't sure where you fit into their lives, if you fit in at all, Lord, help them to know that they need to have you, that they need to make you not part of their lives, but the center of their lives. And Lord, to some people, it just seems too easy. There must be more to it than what there is. And so they try to add things to this. But Lord, you gave us the salvation we need through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to, to let others know that we know you, we love you, and we believe your word. And there's only one way to do that. And that's to pray a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Your Son, Jesus, is the only Savior. So, Father, I open my heart and let your Son in to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of sin. Help me to live the life you want. Help me to serve you in the ways you want. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.